Hi, welcome to another episode of the Weld.com podcast. I'm Bo Wigington. I took a trip out to Clemens, North Carolina to see Justin Voss at his shop where he makes welding and fabrication videos for YouTube, as well as talking about his defiant metal welding gloves. He talks about how he got his start in welding through NASCAR, working as a tire carrier while learning how to TIG weld. He also talks about how his glove line came about and the art of making content for both social media and YouTube. Before we jump into the episode, we have a quick message from our good friend Dabs Wellington. Dabs, do you want to tell us a little bit about this competition that you have going on? Absolutely. It is our fourth annual high school seniors stick welding competition at American Welding Academy. We're located in Union, Missouri. The uh, festivities will be starting off. God, I'll probably be there from 4 a.m. Doors are going to open between 6 and 8. 8 o'clock, we'll have our first group of students starting. We're going to have four flights running throughout the day. So uh, that's going to leave us enough room for about 200 competitors. So there is limited space available for this, but I've been traveling through the entire Midwest trying to get high school seniors and drum up interest for this. It is an incredible opportunity to win a pipe welding course tuition paid. It's our way of bribing high school seniors with a $1,000 scholarship to come out and check out our beautiful facility. At this event, February 4th, you can win a $1,000 scholarship to a welding program over at American Welding Academy just for entering. To find out more about registration and info about the competition, head to awaweld.com. Do you want to tell people out there that might not know who you are in your work, do you want to tell them who you are and what you do? Yeah, I'm Justin Voss, and I was a welder and fabricator in NASCAR for the last, I say 16 years, but I took a break from in the shop towards the end of that and just was pit crew only. So I worked in NASCAR for 16 years, but I did a lot of different things in there too. I even did marketing for a little bit. And then I started making YouTube videos. I was burnt out on welding actually. And so this was back when Casey Neistat was like, he's back now, but back then he was big too. And he was doing his vlogs. And I was like, I didn't think I would be a vlogger, but it was like a good way to start making videos because I'd always been into making videos, even though I'd always been into racing. I grew up on a farm. I messed with our MIG welder up in the shop and I would just weld pieces of junk together. It kind of makes me wish I let my kids do that now too, or they need to get out here and start messing around because that gave me a love for metal. And I was always into technology. So I always was like racing and technology were my like two favorite things. And growing up, always loved cameras. So would buy equipment as I like moved out to North Carolina, got a job in racing, moved up the ranks, but then I was still always messing with cameras, but had no reason to be doing it. Yeah. Just (laughs) this is the passion. Yeah. Like I wanted to edit videos. I didn't know what for. I had nothing in my mind that was interesting to make videos about, but I just wanted to learn how to edit them. Yeah. Same thing. Like I would mess with Photoshop and then the vlogging came and I was like, well, I'm in NASCAR. Like people might find this interesting. So I tried to take my camera to the track and around pit stops and like our practices and but I'm not like a super out extroverted person I can film myself all day by myself but it's super hard in front of people yeah I found out yeah it's very (laughs) difficult I did push through it a couple times so like there's old videos where you can see I'm actually at the track and like that was really uncomfortable for me but you're like hey guys just be filming yeah act natural but I feel like you push through those uncomfortable moments and it made me more comfortable on camera in general and those videos did okay and then I left the race shop of fabricating. I built suspension parts towards the end of my career. So trailing arms, upper control arms, stuff like that. And then when I went pit crew only, me and a friend of mine started a graphic shop. 
because like I said before, I'd always been messing around with Adobe Illustrator and Photoshop for no reason. Yeah, there's a reason. There's <laughs> so, a reason. Yeah. So I knew how to like design graphics. So and he had already had some experience installing. So we bought a printer and rented the space we're in now and started that graphic shop. And it did okay. I feel like for us to actually start making real money, we would have had to hire a bunch of employees and actually go that route, which we weren't really in that position to. Plus, I was still pitting at the time. And so that kind of fizzled out, but I kept the space. And while I was in the shop still, I did a couple videos where I like made a little aluminum box and welded it up and mounted it under my table. So that's backing up a little bit. I was still in the shop at that time. And I did it over lunch hour. And that video did better than any of my vlogs. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, huh. So then I kind of went back to doing my normal vloggy kind of videos and then i think i did another project i can't remember what it was and then that one did better than my vlog was that yeah one? yeah was... a star so then i was like damn i guess i'm gonna try and make videos about welding when i was going through school and i was working at a fab shop i was telling you about he was going to teach me aluminum i wanted to learn aluminum tig and yeah. that was like my goal because at school it was all carbon steel and all that kind of stuff i wanted to really start learning aluminum and that nascar cube test mm -hmm. is the first video that popped up when i was like welding aluminum and i watched it i was like i want to do that but i didn't have a machine that was ac so i couldn't mess around with tig welding aluminum yeah in that test like it seems simple it's like they'd really hire a welder off of this but usually like to get an interview you probably have some references of people referring you like hey try this guy out so that's just an easy test because there is a lot of aluminum welding on race cars or at least there was and in racing they just care about what looks nice honestly like yeah. they don't x-ray test there's no certificate not i don't know one single person who is a fabricator who is certified in anything they're just like <laughs> i can make it look good it's a completely different world i actually had a friend one time that went to school he was a production welder he could tig weld like that's what he did he was used to like standing at a fixture freehanding it not being able to rest his hands on anything yeah and he came in i got him a weld test one time and it just it didn't look good and i'm sure it was solid and it passed everything but even the shop foreman was like hey i'm like I'm sorry, but we're looking for like an artist. That's what they care about. It has to look nice. We want those dimes. Yes. And obviously if you weld up stuff and it keeps cracking on the track, usually if you welded it properly, they don't even blame you. They blame like engineering and yeah. how the part was designed. So really it's like, as long as your welds look nice, that's really all they care about. Yeah, as long as it looks fast. Yeah. And it's a race car. So stuff wears out. They cycle parts. It's not like it doesn't have to last forever. Yeah. When you're working in NASCAR, what types of things were you welding? What were the specific parts you were working on? Because there's a ton of different pieces that go into it. You got your roll cages, your suspension, all that kind of stuff. What were you making? So when I got my first job, I didn't really know how to TIG weld. Like I said, I grew up on the farm in MIG welding, so mm. I could MIG weld. I couldn't really <laughs> MIG weld that nice. And I didn't really know how to TIG weld, but I knew I wanted to work with metal, especially back then. Stuff changing because they're going to more towards like the IndyCar model where you buy your parts and you assemble it. But back then, when I very first started, every single piece of the car was made. Like fenders were English wheeled and made. Everything was made. The windows were made. So when I started, I found this Arca team that needed a tire carrier, which is on the pit crew. It's the cool. one that like goes out there, slams the tire on, the tire changer hits the lug nuts, tire carrier takes the tire away. So you have to aim at the studs. I didn't know what that was exactly <laughs> at the time because it sounds crazy, but like growing up in Iowa, like NASCAR wasn't on all the time. Plus I raced go-karts. So like I didn't get to watch a lot. So I kind of understood the gist, but I didn't know exactly how the business worked. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I tried out for it. I got the job. They're like, yeah, you're good. Yeah. Man. 
like our stops were 20 some seconds like they didn't care that much and then they needed a fabricator so i was like oh i can fabricate too i just like bs my way hey that's how you do it in there yeah you always say you could do it and then you learn how (laughs) yeah and plus it was i think i got 400 bucks a week for hitting the car, working in the shop, traveling as a mechanic. Oh, dang. And we worked like seven to seven every day. So that's probably why they were a little loose on, the, uh, yeah, sure, sure. on how much <laughs> experience you had. And uh, they had a TIG welder, obviously, and no one knew how to TIG weld except for like our car chief. He would do little odds and ends, but he's more focused on trying to set up the car. So uh, this is a long way to go to what you asked me. <laughs> that's what I want to hear. So I would go over there as much as I could because I knew I wanted to weld. And I always heard if you can TIG weld, you'll have a job forever. So I was like, I want to learn how to TIG weld. So obviously, it set up the machine for me and like I would just go over there and play and then eventually I got okay enough that if something came up they would give it to me if it wasn't like super crucial and then I worked my way up from there and that's how I learned to TIG weld was on that first race team Dang. like how it was it just experimenting did he show you how to do it like how no, did usually you it was on actual parts oh, <laughs> but there's a lot of odds and ends like I know you asked what we weld so on that team we bought most of the cars done, like they were used cup cars, there was a lot of repairs. So you might weld a little aluminum bracket to another bracket that bolts to a part of the car and holds the window brace up, like stuff like that. Just little kind of unimportant stuff. Then there's obviously every piece of equipment that you're going to take to the track, whether it's like a tire cart or that, a lot of that's built or you have to repair it or you're making something custom for the pit box, a lot of stuff like that, not even stuff for the car. But as far as like welding, I started off in finish fab is what they call it. I wasn't really a welder. I was a finish fabricator, which is a lot of aluminum panel work. Okay. That's all the inner liner fenders, all the aluminum panels, the front and rear window, the side windows. So how are you putting those together? Duck work. It's all just sheet metal. Like it starts with a flat piece of sheet metal. You like, so as for the crush panels, that the crush panel is the panel. It's like a 32,000 piece of aluminum that goes between the chassis and like the chassis firewall and the fender. So you would just come up with some patterns and find a piece of sheet metal that fits in there, Clico it in, which are like little pieces that take place of a rivet. And so it temporarily holds it. And then you just paper pattern and fill that all in to get that curve because no two cars, especially back then are the same because someone's hand making that fender. So the curves are a little bit different and you just tape paper pattern that in and then you go cut it out of a piece of aluminum, drill your holes, put the B rolls in it and put it in. So that's how you like make a crush panel. The duct work, which comes off the air opening on the front of the car and goes to the radiator, that's all aluminum boxed. Someone makes all that. Same thing, you have to paper template it to the nose to get it all fit, rivet it all together, get it to fit in there nice. The air box that brings in air from the back of the hood, that's all was handmade. The cowls on the side that you would see like when the car spins out, they'd flip up. Those were handmade from scratch like from a flat piece of aluminum. So stuff like that too, like you would roll it over maybe on the front edge and roll the side edge over and then you have to weld up the little seam, like little tiny welding stuff like that was what was involved in finish fab. Okay. And then I did that for a while while being on pit crews, moved up, got jobs on bigger race teams, always kind of worked in finish fab. And it wasn't until RCR, they were... switching to TIG welding their trailing arms from MIG welding them because TIG welding is lighter, but it takes a lot longer. And I had been welding our aluminum brake ducts at DEI. So I moved from finish fab to welding these brake ducts because I can make the welds look nice. It was a handmade brake duct. It's really hard to explain, but picture like the air scoop that mounts to the side of the spindle and then you'd hook tubes up to it. All that, I started off with flat aluminum. I'd have to shape it, weld it all together. So that's where I got like a lot of like seat time welding aluminum and then one of my buddies had left and went to rcr and he knew he was building tailpipes there 
because he had always been a welder. He built exhaust at the team I worked on him with. Same thing, exhaust. It's all made. Someone made it. <laughs> yeah, that blew my mind. <laughs> yeah. Like, I always thought it was just they bend it up and all that kind of stuff. No, there's little pie slices. Yeah. That's some critical work. Right yeah. There. So that's a full welding job, pretty much. Welding, fabricating. Because you're fitting your own parts and making them, but welding them up for the exhaust. And then I got that job doing the trailing arms at RCR and... It sucked because they didn't have a pit crew opening at the time, and I was just hired in the shop. Yeah, like, I want to be on the pit crew. <laughs> yeah, and usually you're one or the other. Like, usually you're brought in by the pit coach to be to pit a car, and they'll just find something for you in the shop. But since I was brought in to the shop, it made it a little bit harder to get back on a team, but I just went out there and practiced and finally got back on something. But yeah, so I was at RCR welding trailing arms together from essentially... They start with two pieces of channel and you weld them together and then put the ends on and put the like sleeves in for the U-bolt and all that stuff. The shock mount, the track bar mount, all that stuff. Weld all that on. And then there's the upper control arms, which are constantly changing because they go on the setup plate. And the upper control arms pretty much non-adjustable as far as like where the ball joint is front and back. And then distance from the chassis, it's all solid mounted. It's welded. They would go on the setup plate and be like, oh, we can't get the camber we want with the whatever bump steer we need. So they would like order an upper control arm and I had to make those just, and they'd be standing there waiting a lot of the time. Like, okay, we're ready. <laughs> yeah. We're ready to put this on. Yeah. So that's a lot of suspension welding, but as far as like, what else welding there is, there's obviously the chassis. There's a whole chassis shop that gets all welded up. The new car has all gone central located. So one place welds all the cup cars now. Dang. And they do a lot of it with robots. <laughs> so a lot yes. of that entire job is gone. Dang. They still do Xfinities and truck chassis. Teams can do those, but I'm sure that'll go the way of how the cup cars have gone. So it's not like you can't get a job in racing welding chassis, but you probably need to go work for the company that welds them. Yeah. <laughs> not a race team. That was one of the jobs when I got out of school. Have you ever heard of Mickey's Truck Bodies? It's over in kind of Thomasville area. I went in there to go do a weld test for their custom like they had one section that did customizing of like trailers and stuff and then their other one is just all aluminum welding but one of mm -hmm. them was like a chassis tig welder and i applied for one job in the custom spot and then they called me back for a chassis welder but by then i'd already had another job lined up and yeah chassis works intense man yeah like that's some very critical welds as well that's yeah. where all of your pressure is going on so Shifting gears, you started making these videos of the NASCAR stuff, but then you started getting into the fabricating videos and the teaching videos. What was the switch like for when you went full-time with YouTube? What was that like? Were you just one day or something? Oh, I'm not going to do any more NASCAR stuff. I'm going full in. Or were you still doing half and half? So when NASCAR switched from six people over the wall, I was a tire carrier. And when they went to five, they eliminated a person which shuffled how the jobs were done. And by that time, I'm just guessing how old I was, maybe 34-ish, something like, I don't know. So I was like towards the end of my pitting career. Yeah. And I got moved to being a gas man, which was fine. And in the old ways, the gas man was allowed, if they only had to do one can, they could go pull the right front tire and then put a can in. With this new rule, I think they were trying to eliminate like how expensive the pit crew was. So they made the gas man like only be able to fuel which didn't really, I don't think, change salaries as much as they were like hoping it would. But anyway, gassing was kind of boring. Yeah. So once I wasn't pitting, then now I'm just traveling gassing. It was fine. Like we won a championship in the Xfinity Series. All that was fun. I like love my teammates and stuff. But it wasn't as like thrilling as being a tire carrier. It was less stressful. 
Because with, when you're carrying tires, like I'd go out there, like, I'm probably not going to miss. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, hope, I hope I get close. Yeah. So after that, I just felt, I don't know, I was just coasting. Yeah. And I did it a few more years. I got moved to Austin Dillon's three cup car and that was fun. That was more intense. It brought back more of the competitive feelings, but it still wasn't carrying tires. And then my kids have gotten older. They're 11 and nine. And I just, since I was working here in my shop during the week, Sure, I only had to practice a couple hours a day, but then I'm here. And then when they're home from school and stuff, then now I'm at the racetrack. So I was still gone all the time. And I just, finally, I got tired of just being gone. By the end of the year, I was like, I think at the end of this year, I'm going to be done. And honestly, I sold our house and I made a little bit of money so I could stick it in the bank. And I was like, this just seems like a really good time to try and do YouTube and stuff full time and my Defiant Metal gloves. So did you start your gloves at the same time or were you doing YouTube and then moved into that? Like, how did your gloves come about? I started YouTube and I wore a brand of gloves that I don't want to name. It doesn't really <laughs> matter, but it was a welding company's. And they had some gloves that really, they don't really look like mine, but they were the color scheme-ish that I liked. And then they quit making them. And I would try and find some and I just couldn't. And I'm like, I'm going to look into what does it take to have gloves manufactured? Yeah. And so I could make them look exactly how I wanted. And I think that's what a lot of people like about them. It's just how they look. Yeah. No, I dig the look of yours too. It's got that kind of like steampunky look yeah. too. Yeah. That's what I'm going for. But yeah, perfect. <laughs> that's what I get. And yeah. And manufacturing gloves is a lot harder than you think it's going to be. I know a lot of people get contacted by manufacturers all the time, but a lot of them are terrible. And a lot of them like, it's a little bit of a risk. Like you're just sending a crap ton of money to somebody you don't know in another country. But I've looked at manufacturing in the U.S. I would love to do that, but I can't find anybody manufacturing in the u.s it does seem like that is a more expensive option for people mm. going overseas it's a little bit cheaper but with supply chain stuff right now it's it yeah. seems more efficient to do it here in the u.s i've thought about what does it take to make a glove like how many people how many hours what would raw materials cost but i just can't see a path where you could pay somebody a decent wage in america and then not have a 50 dollars or more glove because it's got to take, what do you think you could sew a glove together if you're really good at it? Like 20 minutes, maybe? Yeah, like, maybe if you cut out the pattern or, but still, say it's 15 minutes, which would be hauling. Yeah, you're cooking. <laughs> and you pay somebody 20 bucks an hour. So you got, what, $5 a glove just in the labor part with no raw material, no packaging, no nothing. And I doubt it's 15 minutes. Yeah. So you're already, I don't know. I don't think it can be done. I've been looking into another product. I looked at like tungsten electrodes. And I was trying to find an American manufacturer for those. And I thought I found one and they quit. And they were the last one. Dang. And they even said, there's no tungsten electrode manufacturers in the U.S. You can't find one. Dang. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, why not? That seems yeah, like a machine could make that. Yeah, why? I, that's <laughs> what I don't understand is there's a need for all this stuff. Yeah. But maybe that's the type of companies like, we should, being a welder is cool. Let me start some manufacturing mm -hmm. companies. I feel like if you're doing enough volume, I think that's what makes it so much cheaper over there is the just sheer volume. Like yep. you got 500 companies coming to you for stuff and it's like, all right, around the clock, like nonstop yeah. manufacturing. I want my quality to be up there. That's yeah. why, like I was telling you earlier with shipping them out, like I go through and I can't open them out of the packages because that would just take me forever. Put them, <laughs> take them out, look at them, put them back in. But I do like visually inspect every single pair of what I can see. And they fluctuate because they're handmade. Yeah. So, and that bothers me. So, like, I'm constantly looking around for new manufacturers, trying to find just, I want a premium glove. Because I don't sell them for cheap. Yeah. So, I want them to be nice. 
that's the weird part. I've talked to a lot of glove makers and everybody's trying to be new. Like they're trying to revolutionize the glove every time. <laughs> everybody's, we've changed the glove. Yeah. It's like, this one has six fingers yep. just in case. But I'm going to make a welding mitten. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> then you don't have to worry about burning up all your fingers. Yeah, they'd be like, can you hold the tongue? Does this have good dexterity or dexterity? I'm like, absolutely not. It's, nope, <laughs> nope. It's got an auto feeder, though. Yeah. What if you just had a little roll? Like it's got little yeah. rolling wheels and that. that or it's Wolverine and they come out like. Yeah, it's like you that's your filler your metal. Yeah, that'd be cool. With your gloves. How are you advertising? Because that's like another thing. If you're a welder or fabricator and you say you want to put out your own custom hoods or your own custom gloves. Yeah. How did you go about getting the word out? Was your YouTube channel big? Just YouTube, yeah. Starting off, I would put links down below. And I had enough people watching at the time. They would see it. They thought it looked, because they're unique looking. I sell white gloves and they don't sell very well at all because I feel like they look like all the other gloves. But my black and brown ones sell well. So people would see it. I, right now I'm trying to go more. I want people to buy off my website, but Amazon is still like my largest sales channel. But then I was trying to grow Amazon. So I would link to Amazon. So the people who would watch me would go to Amazon, they leave a review. And then that gets it to where now if you search TIG welding glove, like I'm coming up. So yeah. now there's people buying off Amazon who have never even heard of me. But yeah, YouTube kicked it off. Without that, I don't know how anybody could do it themselves like you couldn't just start a glove line one you're gonna spend like tens of thousands of dollars in inventory and you're probably gonna be spending years to move it like walking in seeing the massive amount of boxes you got up there yeah know, that's one thing people don't understand is when you like mass manufacture something you gotta keep it it's not either you're gonna pay to store it somewhere or you're just gonna have it going yep. around like band merch i've still have bands i was in a long time ago i still have tons of shirts from yep. it's like the merchandising it is it there's a whole new level of oh i gotta have all this room for all these boxes and gloves are like merchandise too because you have sizes yeah which makes it a huge pain so <laughs> yeah. i have black pink white just in the tig glove but now i have to have small through extra large and all those that's why I like whites i have medium through extra large i haven't really expanded because they haven't been that popular the pink has the extra small but some people want that in black, so now I need to add that to black. So black's my most popular glove. Right now I have small through double X, and I'm going to add extra small through double X. That's a lot of size variations, and you have to have inventory in every one of those sizes. But like how you asked about how I started it and you brought up merchandise, that was a bit too, because like I said, I've been always big into cameras, so I watch a lot of like camera gear YouTubers and stuff, uh -huh. and uh, like video game YouTubers, and they all sell merchandise. And I do too, like I have t-shirts for Defiant Metal, but that's what made me think of it too, is I can't buy the glove I want. I could use something for extra revenue from people who would like to support me and purchase something. And I was like, glove would probably do better than a t-shirt because welders and fabricators are watching me and they can actually use a glove where a t-shirt, you just wear it. Yeah. So that's what kicked that off. And gloves are, I consider them a consumable. It's like, you're going to burn through your gloves eventually. I might not be the best welder and that's why I go through so many gloves, but I do stick, I do MIG and I do TIG. So I'm constantly burning through gloves when teaching because mm -hmm. I'm a tutor over at the college. And so I'll go in just any gloves I have that day. I'm like, all right, we're going to this TIG glove. We're going to learn how to stick well mm -hmm. overhead. So I'm like burning through stuff. I should keep a whole bunch of stuff with me, but I go through gloves like crazy. And I know students go through gloves like crazy. Yeah. 
Yeah, and when I started, I just really pictured like it as like selling a T-shirt to my audience. Yeah. So I tried to start small. I think I had three sizes in the black gloves, and I was just like, if people buy a couple of these once in a while, like, cool. Like, it's not a huge deal. I never... I don't know if I really ever thought of it expanding to even like what it is now or that what I would like I'm having a booth at the performance racing entry show coming up in December and like I never thought I would do that because that's not my YouTube audience that's just <laughs> a bunch of racers now I've expanded and I want to start selling more and offer more products so I'm like well, try and get my name out there to people who don't watch my YouTube channel. I feel like that's a progression of a welding company. Jody, he's got his welding store for like welding tips and tricks. Mm. People have like their weld supply. You become a welder and then you're like, these are the products I trust and stand by. Mm -hmm. And you can buy them to me. Yeah. I feel like that is a natural progression for people that are not necessarily like you're just like custom fab shop and all we do is just make custom stuff for people. You can have t-shirt hats and all that kind of stuff, but... People that are more in the public eye, mm -hmm. YouTube is in the public eye. And I feel like you form more of a bond with people when you're talking face to face. And even if it is through a computer screen, I trust you. Mm -hmm. I've watched your videos. I bonded with you through my TV screen, but yeah. I never met you in person, but it's also like a the person you put off was a very trusting person and I would buy stuff from them. He'll probably hate for me to keep bringing it up. But like Sean, Dabs Wellington, we both are sponsored by Fronia. So we went up and met at their headquarters and it's by Chicago. I think it's Indiana. And uh, they demoed their new dynamic TIG wire thing for us. It was us two and then Kyle Voss. But like Kyle comes from YouTube too. So me and him were talking about it and like how it works and then like how much content dabs puts out he's a content machine and if he yeah. was on youtube you can monetize it on youtube on instagram it's just it's nothing yeah <laughs> yeah you get people following you but that's it but they just launched this new subscription service on instagram which i still don't understand but that's a step in the right direction of monetizing it but youtube doing things like that where you can actually just monetize mm -hmm. it is a search engine a lot of people don't understand that youtube is one of the most popular search engines because whenever I try to learn something about welding, if I Google it, I might get an article. But if I YouTube it, I can watch somebody do it. And I think it's funny how different communities live in different places. And like I follow some gaming stuff and gaming lives on Twitter. Twitch. Oh, Tw Twitch for viewing it. Yeah. But like the community talks on Twitter okay. a lot. But I, like welding and fabricators definitely live on Instagram. Yeah, diehard. <laughs> I feel like especially back when Instagram popped off and a lot of these people blew up, it was monetizable. If you had 50K followers or 100, people would pay you to post. Yeah. Now, I feel like content. people are a little bit behind with if they're still paying for that because I don't think people care when they see someone share it. Yeah, it's brand recognition, but I don't think you're getting conversions like you used to. So it's not like it's not worth advertising on Instagram because you're still getting eyeballs on your stuff. Like I push Instagram with my Defiant Metal stuff. But on YouTube, you're sitting down and watching a 10, if it's my case, a 20 or 30 minute video. <laughs> <laughs> so you're seeing stuff for a long time. And there's a spot right below where there can be links, which can't you can't put a link in an Instagram caption. It's just a whole different world. You can do an ad with a call to action right in it in the video. And some people don't skip it. I feel like you have more of a chance, like subliminal marketing. I wear Wrangler all the time because one of our friends works at Wrangler and then they just started sending us stuff for the band. We're not a huge band, but they're just like, yeah, take pictures in it. Yeah. Just wear it all the time. We'll keep sending you stuff. And I so, think this used to be a Wrangler store and this was the warehouse. 
Oh, perfect. Yeah. That's why I feel so at home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I used to have a connection with L.C. King slash Pointer Brand when I was out in Nashville. Went out and filmed some stuff in their actual factory, like the Pointer Brand factory. It was so cool. I got to film a one-shot video where I go from the top floor down all through it, and we made it into a music video. But then they were just like, yeah, here's all this stuff. Just wear it. If you ever need more, just let us know. And yeah. I feel like that is what social media has brought to welders people want you to wear their stuff so people see it and they're just like oh that's cool i should go check that out yeah getting into the welding world it seems very instagram heavy everybody's get on instagram and start asking questions and that's weld.com just dropped a new app and that's the idea is instead of everything going through instagram it's like distilled down into if you just want welding here's welded nothing but welded well, and that's the that is the advantage instagram has over youtube is it has a dm feature which on youtube like you can put your email link but then you're just emailing them instagram you can dm them before they ever decide to respond they can click your profile and yeah. see what you're about see what you're up to yeah, <laughs> yeah. So i dig that part. that's nice on instagram but is with the advertising, like I, there's a guy, Dusty James, he does Pacific Architect Welding. Oh, yeah. I started sponsoring him with my gloves when he was like, maybe he was like around 30K subs on YouTube. And I would get people all the time saying they saw me on his channel. And then on Instagram, I never see any of that. And maybe people just don't comment as much, but. I feel like YouTube is more of a. Like Instagram, it's like you're right there with them. Yeah. YouTube is more of this is a production. Mm. This is this is someone. It's more of a TV show or a movie. Yeah. Instagram is more like, hey, come and hang out with me for the day. Yeah. Society in general, marketing through media has been huge, and people idolize superheroes, movie stars, rock stars, all that kind of stuff. But YouTube has made people idolize people. Yeah. It's like, oh, I love this lady's <clears throat> baking channel. That was the fun part of me being at Fabtech is like all these people that I've been watching and have helped me learn. I got to walk up and be like, hey, I know you. Yeah. You don't know me. But it's that kind of butterfly of meeting a celebrity. You find people you connect with on YouTube, too, because they're mm -hmm. sitting and they have to share their personality. So you do start trusting the products they like to use even yeah. if some of it's product placed most people if they have integrity still aren't going to use something they don't like even if it was free or yeah. they're being paid to like i get offers from all kinds of crazy stuff <laughs> and like i used to like always want to say yes but then i'm like trying to make these videos just because i have a sponsor to fill and i just want to use stuff that i'm going to use anyway that i really like but like i've tried to do advertising with my gloves on facebook and the sponsored posts and stuff and even on amazon you can promote your listing and stuff. I get nothing off that. But like influencer marketing works great. People that are really focused on it, really good at it, they're consistent. And so there's, they've got someone that's not going to let them down. I feel like that's how I feel about my, the people that I follow all the time. Yeah. I'm like, I know if I just every day I could go and see something on this cats with hard hats page and it's going to make <laughs> yeah. me laugh. It's like things like that where it's like you develop a relationship where people trust you because you're consistent. I am bad at, I'll get going, I'll get going, I'll get going, and then I'll just be like, all right, I got other, too many other things yeah. to worry about. I got to go take care of business. I've yeah. let some people down on YouTube with my consistency. <laughs> hey, it's all about trying to get better. Right? I really didn't think the gloves would take up as much time as they did. But they did. Or they do. Yeah. So... <laughs> I'm trying to balance both, but it's a lot. Like, I really, I don't make any money to hire someone. You got to get an intern. Yeah, that's the work. That's what I need, yeah. <laughs> the interns that come in for the experience. Yes, exactly. That'd be great. 
Or like how Weld.com does where they have a cameraman following them around. Because that's you wouldn't believe how hard it is to make a project yeah. and film it. A lot of all the videos I've done, it was me setting up. You just set it up. I'm surprised the same way you did it, where you set up a shot, you go get it, and yeah. then you're like, okay, now i got to get this one. It's like there's a method to the madness yeah. when you're doing it yourself. But then my wife, she started helping me out filming stuff. It definitely helps with one other person. Yeah, and I like doing lots of camera cuts because I don't want it to get boring. So lots of different angles of the same part of the project. But while I'm shooting it, I don't know if I'm going to fast forward this or if I'm just going to cut it completely. So I'll have... It's not uncommon for me to do a project and have 60 hours of video. Yeah. Yeah. That's the same thing with podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Know? It's like I have so many hours of stuff to go through and then you just have to sit and watch it or you have yeah. to sit and listen to yeah. it and you're like, oh, that was good. That was interesting. And then you listen back through it after you've made taken hours of cutting things down and yep. editing and you're like. That actually wasn't good. Let me see if I have a better take. Yeah. <laughs> Let me go back through like, this footage. I've thought about trying to find an editor, but same thing. Like I'd have to one the one logistic problem is I'd have to send across the internet sixty hours of four K footage, which would take an eternity. And then I don't know how much it would cost for them to edit it because they weren't there when yeah. I filmed any of that. So I will skim through it and I, it'll trigger something. And I'm like, oh yeah, what? right after this, that's all nothing. By the flow of how this video is feeling, I don't need this next clip. I can just delete it. Yeah. They have to watch it all because yeah. they have no idea what's in it. And it's your personal taste too. Yeah. Like that, I feel well, like Yeah, you feel like you're making the video in the edit, really. Yeah. Most movies and everything, it's like they just get hit with just thousands of hours of just like random stuff. And the director's like, hey, this is the idea I'm going for. And then the editor is the dude that's, or lady, that's out there just making it happen. Yeah. Putting together their story, how they see it. That's the same thing with producing videos is like you give your own personality with the shots you make. That's how you're seeing it and how you conceptualize it. And I feel like that's a special gift in its own because the way there's a bunch of people that make video. There's mm -hmm. not a bunch of people that their videos take off and go really far. And that's the special gift that people like you, Dusty, Weld.com, they have a way of communicating and showing and teaching in a way that people want to engage with. It's funny too, if anybody wants to start YouTube and you're like a welder, I never watched welding YouTubers. I started making welding videos and I didn't know who anybody was. I didn't know who Jody was. I didn't, nothing. Because I watched photographer and videographer videos. Peter McKinnon. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody yeah. loves Peter. All them guys. Gerald Undone, like bunch of them. And because I wanted to make really nice videos and I knew the subject matter, I didn't need to watch other YouTubers do it. I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to learn the craft of making videos and then apply it. Plus when you watch other people, you start like adopting their stuff. Yeah. yeah. And it, I feel like that's good to do off Peter McKinnon because you're bringing it to the welding world, but you don't want to be copying some other welding YouTuber, even yeah. if it's accidental. It's, Hey everybody, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to teach you how to Weld a NASCAR aluminum cube <laughs> test. You know? Yeah, it's, it's totally original. It's my idea. Don't worry if you've seen this before. Yeah. What's funny about that weld test too is I screwed it up. So normally when I do the tests in real life, I, and I don't know why it didn't cross my mind, but since I was doing it on video, I like just blazed through it fast. And obviously the cube heated up and then blew out the corner. And in real life, whenever I've done it, it's just naturally had enough time to cool in between. So it was embarrassing that I screwed it up and didn't drill a pressure <laughs> hole. <laughs> That's That was a learning experience for people like me that yeah. watch that too. I was like, oh, okay, you got to have a way for all this gas and heat to get out somehow. Yeah, and I just leave stuff 
one, because I don't have enough time to read to right. it. <laughs> yeah. And two, like you said, like people learn from my mistakes. I'm not perfect. I'm yeah. a lot of projects, like I'm doing custom stuff one off. So it's unique every time mm-hmm. you might mess up stuff and I just show it. And I know some people like on the internet who do like maybe some, cause I say I'm doing something unique to me or new. There's going to be someone out there who does that thing all the time. So if I mess it up, they go in the comments and just hammer me like I'm an idiot. Yeah. (laughs) But I don't care. Yeah. That's I've had a lot of talks with people that if you're in the influencer world or just like making videos, like you're going to have haters. You're going to have people that are just like, nope, wrong, incorrect. You have no idea what you're doing. You know, you're going to always have that. And it's it takes a while to grow the tough skin to just be like, I don't care. So that's your opinion. That's cool. You think what you want. Sure, you taught me. Like, a lot of times, like, the negative comments do teach me because I'm newer, and I am learning. Yeah, it's nice when someone, like, corrects you, like, nicely. Yeah, they're just like, actually, like, you, like, I just put out one of my videos with well.com just came out where I made some different types of custom signs. And so it was like, I wouldn't grind it like that because you give yourself more of a chance to mess it up. I would just go in one direction. I was like, that is a good idea. That is smart. That you're correct. That is a much better way of doing it. But I was just quick. And it's, you learn just what people are really focusing in on in your comment section. Like that is, is just analytical gold because you can see it's i have 20 comments about this one moment in the video there was a bird in your shop and i didn't even notice it's or just things Mm -hmm. like that just random things but focus on what i'm doing not the thing that's flying around in the background and when you're making videos there's so much you have to take into account too where it's like you being in your shop right now it does not look like on the videos it's like a totally different vibe right now but i see where we're at and the way you set up the scene so to say it's awesome but you took time and energy to put it together this is the shot i want to get i feel like people that want to get into making videos the comment you made about watching how cinematic people like people who make movies and like commercials, things like that. Learning the craft of that is just as important as learning the craft of welding. Like, cause if you just try to shoot things, it's not going to really capture the vision that you're going for. So I had an interesting detour. When I started making YouTube videos, I was a tire carrier on the 62 Xfinity car and then eventually Paul Menard's cup car right around the same time. And I started making YouTube videos. I made a couple a video about Dow. I think they gave us a cooler cause they sponsored Austin Dillon. And I made this little thank you video. It's just part of my little vlog video. Well, Austin Dillon's, do you know who Austin Dillon is? He he drives the three NASCAR cup car. Okay. The one Dale Earnhardt used to drive. Praise Dale. (laughs) And his business manager, like I know Austin, like we've hung out because he's, it's family race team. So like I know Austin, but then his business manager, Austin Craven saw my video and he was like, Hey, we're looking for like a social media manager for Austin. And at the time I just started the graphic shop. This probably contributed to that not working as well. <laughs> You're like, sure, I could do all <laughs> Yeah, these I'll things. just do all three things. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. But I took that job and it was slowly just a couple hours every week and I would do it from my own office. But then eventually I started working for him full time. But and it was hard. Like I learned a lot. But again, I did learn a ton. Like I had to shoot videos. I my Photoshop skills like I was using it every day, trying to make social media posts. He did this show called Barn Life, which was like a video podcast show. I had to set that up and we were live streaming it for a while. So like I learned how to switch camera angles and broadcast it live. OBS, baby. Yeah. All And I knew how to do all this because of what I'd said earlier, where I was 
learning this stuff and I had no reason to learn it. But through that experience, I got around a lot of the NASCAR media people. So these are people who are in production and they came out and showed me about lighting and make sure, yeah, you say you set up this scene, you don't want to smash it against the wall. You want to be really some of these TV sets are 15 feet from the back wall. It just doesn't look like that yeah. when it's shot, but it gives you like this nice depth and stuff like that. So that was like, I learned a lot about how to set up a scene and stuff and lighting and through that experience. Warm light, cold light, like yeah. the differences and what it will show you. There's a lot you'll learn just making videos and then people being like, I have a lot of people that are in film and TV that are my friends and I'll start a new thing. Like I have a project called Bruise Rock where it's my band, we review beers like we love yeah. craft beers so we just sit around and drink craft beers and talk about it and one of my friends was like this is great but you have cold light in the front and warm light in the back <laughs> so it is making the depth real weird and it's it, if you just switch those two things it'll make it look a lot better we try the next time we're like oh that does yeah. look a lot better yeah, yeah people don't realize how much everyone focuses on the camera lighting mm -hmm. is way more important than a camera if you have really good lighting a cell phone looks awesome yeah but yeah, I was thinking too, like if people, and this is sounds random, but like for younger people, especially like with how like I was driven towards cameras and welding and racing, I feel like just learning about anything that interests you is important. For me, at least everything comes together eventually. You might not know why, like you do music, you do welding. I don't know if it's ever came together yet, but it might eventually. The thing I want to start doing is making pedal boards, yeah. flight cases. I want to make Stuff that I would use as a musician, like I, because I do a lot of bar and restaurant stuff, but I would much rather do something where it's like, hey, here's my pedal board. You mm. can buy, I can customize it, like because I was a guitar tech and I built amps, like I've done all that kind of stuff. And now I have a new skill that will complement that. Yeah. But learning, like you're saying, just you never know what skills you learn through life will pay off in the long end, you know, long run. Yeah, when podcasts even started becoming new, this was before video, I started a whole racing podcast network and had some people from other states and they would do like an IndyCar show. We did the dirt racing show, stuff like that. None of that's available online anymore because it was more like newsworthy. But that was, I don't even know, like 2012 maybe. And then I did a storytelling one because I got really big into, I, I guess, NPR. Not their news, but like their stories. Yeah, the way they produced This American Life yes. and stuff like that. And I was like, I want to do a show like that. So me and a friend spent a ton of time and money and did like these seven episodes that are still on. You can find them on podcasts. It's called Built in Motion. And there's one on the Eads Bridge, which was the first iron bridge built over the Mississippi, the biggest bridge at the time, like how they built it. And it's a lot of them have interviews. There's downhill the skate cars we did an episode on, they did them in California. It was like downhill longboard racing, but they it evolved and people started laying down on the boards. And then people started making these aerodynamic shells over the board. So it's like these skate cars that people race down these hills. And we have an interview with a girl that used to drive them. And yeah, I'm like really proud of them. It took a long time to yeah. put them all together. There's sound effects. The Oh, yeah, sound design. On yeah. It. I, that's a dream of mine is I'm a sucker for audio dramas. Yeah. I just there's... Have you ever heard of Tannis or the Black Tapes? Black or, Tapes, yeah. Oh my gosh, I love it. I'm obsessed. Yeah. I'm obsessed with that style. That's that's my. I have a project that I'm working on, but it's gonna take a long time. 
but that's what I love. Yeah. I love how entertainment comes in so many different shapes and sizes, but information comes in a bunch of shapes and sizes these days too. Mm-hmm. Like the idea of infotainment. You know, yeah. A lot of people just put on something where I attribute it back to how it's made. Yeah. It's, that was just very satisfying to watch. But now there's so much information that this new term of infotainment where there's informational stuff, but it's just really entertaining. I love how the world has shifted into that with the rise of just creators in general, being able to put your stuff on YouTube or launch a podcast or there's just so many ways to get your ideas out to the world. I think it's cool. Yeah. And I love making those episodes too. And we were able to tell stories that you wouldn't be able to on video with our like budget. Yeah. But you get the same story, the same feeling, the same information on audio because you don't need to have the visuals. If you want to make a video documentary on something that happened in the past, I don't know what you're doing. You're (laughs) like (laughs) reenacting. You're using old photos. It's a lot, but you can do it on audio. The thing is, though, when I switched to YouTube, I realized how hard it is to grow a podcast audience versus YouTube. Yeah. Because like you said, YouTube is a search engine and YouTube has an algorithm and it's recommending what it thinks is good mm-hmm. naturally grows. Podcasts do not have that. Just like anything, if you like put your head down and love it and grind, that network probably could have been, maybe it would make money today yeah. if I would have stuck with it. But I'm glad I switched to video. I prefer it. But yeah, that, that network, I had a, I hired a developer and custom built a website so that the people who had their shows on my network could upload their audio into my website and they would do like their description, their titles, they'd add pictures. It would make a page on the website. It would add it to iTunes all automatically. What is your biggest advice for learning how to weld? What is the most important thing that you would say to focus on? Probably figure out what you think you want to end up doing because it's very different what path you go down. Like I said, I've always been in the, like what I would call light fabrication and metalworking. I've never welded a pipe. I've I haven't stick welded. I stick welded in a video. Before that, I hadn't stick welded since I was 10 years old. And a lot of these schools are focused on I'm not bashing them. Like you can make a lot of money being a pipe welder if you want to do that. That's a good goal. But like a lot of the schools are that direction. There's a few that focus on actual fabrication. So I would see if you could take like a day class at some of these schools and see which kind of metalworking you like because they're very different from each other and the approaches are very different. So first I would figure that out and then I would pick TIG welding. Of course. And yeah, like obviously going to school is going to help. Watching YouTube videos is going to help. If you can buy your own welder and have something at your house or in your parents' garage or whatever, that's going to help the most because you're just going to be able to experiment on your own. And you can make a lot of cool stuff if you just want to make art projects with limited tools it seems like you need a lot of tools really you need a welder a grinder a maybe an air like a electric shear like a hand shear that you can shear some sheet metal off with or just tin snips you can make a lot of stuff yeah it just takes a long time but it's definitely possible so yeah just get after it just get after it just get after (laughs) it but make sure you're wearing the right gloves yes from Defiant Metal. Yeah, the first thing you should buy before you buy a welder is Defiant Metal Welding Gloves. Yes, yeah. you gotta look cool before you learn what is cool. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Weld.com podcast. If you haven't downloaded the Weld app yet, what are you waiting for? When you become a premium member, you gain access to job boards and educational content that you won't find anywhere else. Plus, if you have a topic that you want me to cover on a future episode, you can reach out to me directly on the app. I'm Bo Wigington, and until next time, we'll see you out there.